We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is a True Faith podcast special. I'm Norman Riley and I'm joined by my True Faith colleague, Chris Shipman. It's our absolute privilege to be able to talk with Osei Sankofa, who isn't only an ex-professional footballer, but is also a representative of English football's equality and inclusion organisation, Kick It Out. True Faith wanted to talk to Kick It Out about the recent spike in incidents of racism at English football stadiums, about how players from black and minority ethnic backgrounds are affected by it, and what can possibly be done to tackle it. Osei, thank you for giving up your time to talk with us at True Faith. Cheers, thanks for having me. Um, we'll crack straight on then. Um, first of all, how did you become involved with Kick It Out and um, what's your role at the organisation? My journey into Kick It Out is quite unusual actually because my, my job title is the education officer but professionally, my professional background is as a football player, as you mentioned. So I played in the Premier League for Charlton Athletic, I played in the Football League for Southend United, Bristol City and Brentford. And for the first half of my career, it was everything was on the up and up. I was playing for England and playing for a Premier League side, made my debut as an 18-year-old. And then by the time I hit my mid-20s, I was struggling to earn myself another contract. I couldn't find another club, the phone stopped ringing. And then you have to start thinking, hold on a second, I might need to do something different with my life. So most people don't have to make such a drastic career change age 26 mm-hmm. but it was something that I found myself right in the middle of so the first thing I decided to get into was to switch my hand to coaching I'd, I'd like to think I'm reasonably smart I, I can talk and and football's what I know I've been doing it for a long time so I went on a coaching course while I was still playing non-league football because I dropped into non-league football at, at that time as well and on that course I met some people One person in particular was working for an organisation called Show Racism The Red Card, which is based up in Newcastle. And they were looking for young coaches to come and sort of deliver training sessions alongside the education Mm -hmm. delivery that was taking place in the schools that Show Racism The Red Card worked in. Now, having been involved in the football bubble, so to speak, for such a long time, I was of the opinion that racism surely wasn't that big of an issue in schools with adults and the older generation, yeah, but not in school. So I thought, okay, let's, let's see what's really going on. So I went into the classrooms just to see what was going on. And I was shocked at some of the stereotypical views and some of the innocent views, but you know, very surprised at what these kids were saying, like how ignorant they were to issues that I thought would not be, would not be of any significance to them. 
And off of the back of that, I decided to go into the classrooms even more. I eventually moved away from delivering sessions to 30 kids in the playground, which for me wasn't that great because mm. the standard wasn't that good. I was more interested in the conversations in the classroom. So I started to deliver that more and more and more and eventually ended up being the lead educator for Show Racism the Red Card in the Southeast region. Doing that for about four or five years, developing my own style and developing my own delivery methods to those groups and really encouraging these conversations. So when the job came up at Kick It Out just over a year ago, I thought, why not? Mm -hmm. let's, let's get involved. Obviously, I was aware of the campaign from a footballing perspective. I thought it'd be a really good opportunity to stay involved in football. It was my, my, my first full-time job, first nine to five. <laughs> and yeah, I just, it just made sense because it was already what I was doing, but this just made it a bit more official. So yeah, the rest is history, as they say. And you mentioned going into schools and maybe kind of um, the difference there between uh, the expectations around kind of uh, racism in schools versus on the professional pitch. If you can cast your mind back, can you remember when you first came to realise racism's presence in football as a game? Yeah, so it's, a, it's, it's an interesting comment. It, we, we spoke previously about racist incidents in real life, which mm. I think is very important to remember to not just single football out as yeah, football's the, the worst thing in the world and separate that from, from real life. But I suppose when I went into football, as particularly Charlton at the time, as a 14-year-old, which is when I joined the club, I came from a very very diverse area of South London. I grew up in Brixton and Tootin to moving out into going to Charlton's training ground, which was based in New Eltham three or four times a week. I was the only black, black player on my team when I first got there. And I suppose you first start noticing the, the othering that takes place. I was always looked at as being, as being different in the sense of people seemed a little bit standoffish towards me. Um, and as more and more black players started to come to the club, you started to see it more. So it was almost like an, ex an exotic type of feel to how you were. So anything that a black player did at that time, there was a big hoo-ha around it. There was right. a big, so if you had a different haircut, like we need to talk about your haircut, or if you arrive late to an event, then all, oh, you know, the, the blacks are always late, or it's the, all the blacks are together, mm. or it's whites v black. So this is how it, it sort of starts. And then as you sort of get a little bit older and people are a bit more comfortable with each other, then the banter starts. Usually derogatory things about black people and you have to, depending on your personality, you will either find a way to get on with it and laugh or you will react in a way that would be acceptable because it's your human being, but at the same time, it doesn't help your cause in the long run. And depending on your character and your personality, people are gonna respond in different ways my way because I'm quite I'd like to think I'm quite a calm person when people would make silly comments about black people or stereotypical comments about black people I was always just asking like what, like, what do you mean like, I, don't, yeah. I don't understand what you're talking about um, so I sort of try to deal with it with trying to maybe embarrass the other person just to make them question themselves as to why they're saying what they're saying I wouldn't I wouldn't make it seem as though football was a really horrible place for me to grow mm -hmm. up in. I, I'm not going to say that there were things that happened that shouldn't go on, definitely. I don't want to say it's part, it's part and parcel of the game because it shouldn't be like yeah, that. Exactly. But, 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 at this, but at the same time, you, you, you navigate your way with your mind and you find a way to educate through, sometimes making people look a little bit silly. 
at the same time. And that was my way of doing things and, and that's what I've sort of continued to do throughout my adult life. It's really interesting what you say. Um, you mentioned things that would be picked up on um, and, and used to you know, used against you. And you mentioned, um, you know, if, if a black player came in with a, with a haircut, it would be picked up on. And interestingly enough, um, Paul Pogba, I mean, when, you know, we're in 2019 now, Pogba, you know, he changes his hairstyle and you have someone like Mark Lawrenson who said this, I think, earlier on in the season uh, or possibly during the World Cup, um, he needs to concentrate less on his hairstyles and more on his football. Mm. And at the time, I found that a very kind of um, uncomfortable thing to listen to because you're thinking, are you, would you have said the same thing about a white player now that's not me saying that Mark Ronson is racist but what it, it's it's almost saying there's a kind of there's a you know it, it's the phrase isn't it there's kind of unconscious bias I suppose and maybe I'm, I'm completely off there but I don't know do you think no, that's no it's a, it's, it's a good point to remember because there are there are cultural differences between races of people obviously and someone like Paul Pobba he's a very expressive person he likes to dance you see videos of him singing and dancing. He likes to express it. He's a very expressive person. Now, the culture in this country, in general, to speak generally, is not very expressive. Mm -hmm. We live in a conservative country, whether we like to admit it or not. We live in a conservative country. Low-key, go under the radar, do what you're doing. And if, you, if anyone maybe shows that they are expressing themselves a bit too much, you know, they're a bit uppity, they're getting a bit carried away, they're getting a bit above their station. Well, actually, he's, he's, he's being true to his culture, he's being himself. Mm -hmm. So if I revert back to when, when I was younger, for example, I used to have braids when I was 15, 16 years old. So I was playing for England, under 15s, under 16s, with a name like Osei Sankofa. Mm -hmm. There was no one with an African name playing for England at that time, with braids, from London, and everybody from that, in that England squad was from the north. I don't necessarily blame them for not understanding what I might be like, but you do, you are looked upon as different. And because you're in the minority, there isn't any real drive to integrate you into that environment. Mm -hmm. It's almost, you have to integrate into yep. that environment. So even at Charlton, I, I was told I needed to cut my hair. Um, why, I don't know. It didn't affect my performance playing for England, so I'm obviously not that bad, but you know, you need to cut your hair because it's, it's, it's a distraction. I remember a coach coming up to me once and talking about one of the other black players at the time. And he said to me, you know, what's, what's wrong with so-and-so? You know, I, I, I try and be friends with him. Like I, I rub his hair, like I try and like get him involved. And I, and I had to sell him, I had to pull him aside. And I said, you know what? I said, culturally to, to rub like a black person's head in general, it's not really appreciated. It's not really the done thing. For a lot of people, it wouldn't be the done thing, but particularly in, in the black community, it's like, it's almost, you don't touch people in that way it's it's not fun it's not your mummy we just and it's not the end of the world it's just i'd rather you didn't yeah, kind yeah. of thing but that was seen as oh well he just doesn't want to get involved he just doesn't like it shows a lack of cultural understanding which can then lead to if a player hasn't performed or hasn't maybe worked as hard as they should now that person is being totted up so that's what they're like they don't do this they don't yeah. do this they don't do this so from that side of things it can be very subtle in its build-up but it does have an impact on how you're perceived and how you're viewed. And again, depending on what type of person you are, you could react really badly to that. Or what a lot of people do just to get by is just be quiet and just get on with it. Um, 
I know that Kick It Out obviously produces a lot of reports and do a lot of kind of analysis on the scale of the problem. Um, can you just give a kind of a bit of an overview of what we know about the scale of the problem? Obviously, there's been a lot of highly reported issues in the Premier League and the, the Football League today. Um, but just kind of a quick overview of that would be great. Yeah, it's we have two reporting officers who are constantly taking calls from people who are trying to report incidents and I have to be honest I feel sorry for them because it, they, the, the stuff they have to listen to and the stuff they have to investigate now obviously we're there for people but imagine constantly taking calls about this vile and abusive mm. nature of these incidents for a game that's supposed a game we're supposed to love and enjoy watching this is the, the other side of the game which has shown itself to not be so nice at the moment and um, there's, there's incident after incident. At the grassroots level, it has been traditionally underreported. And I think one of the main reasons for that is, is the lack of policing and the lack of resources at that level. If you're a referee earning 40 quid a game and you've got 22 players going out on a Sunday morning of a, and there's racist racist things being said and there's fights breaking out are you really going to get involved in that i wouldn't get involved in that i'm not going to lie mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't i'd like to go home this afternoon and not be not be beaten up or not be attacked in, in any kind of way so the, the 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 grassroots level of the game is is largely unpoliced you can imagine if you can imagine how bad things can be at professional games with all of the stewards with all of the announcements with all of the things written in the programs that doesn't exist at the grassroots level mm-hmm. so you and we have we still have these incidents in the pro game so you can imagine what it's like mm-hmm. without having these things in a in a grassroots or non-league setting there's been some interesting stories recently where um, players have been taken off the pitch by their manager because of racist abuse there has been an investigation. The club that walked off the pitch were fined mm. 160 pounds, 165 pounds, sorry. The offending club who were found guilty because of their fan behavior were fined 160 pounds. So the difference between you That's being abused, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a joke really, but it just goes to show that the, the, the laws need to be changed. It needs, to, it needs a whole review. And I think that the, you're gonna see more walk-offs at grassroots level for sure. But if the current climate continues from now until the end of the season, you won't see it in the Premier League because I, I think the stakes are too high. But you know, maybe National League, you might see a walk off. I think I think it's we're not we're not far off that, and everybody is looking to see what what the governing bodies are going to do because they should be frantically sitting and thinking, what if one of those players decides to walk off the pitch? It's mm. so embarrassing. The, the English football shown in every country in the world, and you're at a situation now where some idiot could you know act in a way that's inappropriate and cause what would turn up to be a, a huge story mm. in the game absolutely um i mean moving on to the um i suppose on the premier league but what, like in general what what do you think do you think there's anything <coughs> there's anything you can you as an organization have, have sort of pinpointed as a as a reason for this you see, I'm I'm seeing current rise, but the reality is, it's almost this this never went away. It's just it's just more out in the in the open at the moment. Is there is there anything you you know you think that's fueled? That? Raheem Sterling, for example, he he mentioned um, that it's it's been fueled by by the media. Um, is that something that you'd broadly agree with? Yeah, I think you you have to accept that the the media clearly plays a part in people's thinking. There are certain publications that, that we know mm. about. We can, we can talk about the, the Daily Mail and we can talk about The Sun and the types of articles that they write. Yep. 
and they're very popular. People clearly enjoy reading about these types of things. And it does, as I said before, when we were talking about as how players are viewed or how people from different uh, nationalities can be perceived, the media does build up a picture for, other, for how others are, are perceived. And particularly if you're in areas where you don't have much interaction with people who are different to you, what have you got to go off? And it's very easy to, to go off negatives when you don't know any different. And I think that what you're seeing is as a result of that, I think it's not just the media. Obviously, you have politicians. Politicians sometimes need to be a lot more careful with their language. Mm-hmm. I think the post-Brexit, there was clearly a spike. We spoke earlier about the, the spike in hate crimes after, after the Brexit vote, so you can't deny that there's that. I think the governing bodies have been weak in how they have spoken out against this this type of behaviour, there hasn't really been anything significant that's happened. And I think it's quite embarrassing that it's Raheem Sterling who's supposed to be concentrating on this. He's basically leading this this debate. Mm. It's a joke. He's a professional football player. This is not his job. But he's now the guy to be speaking about this. And I think it needs an approach where more people get involved. If you believe strongly in something, then I think you have a right to speak out. And that's not just black players. I think it's the white players as well. If Harry Kane came out and said, you know what, you England fans that are going over to these countries, trashing the place and being violent, abusive, we don't want that kind of support. Now, I don't know if that's his nature, if that's his character, but that would be massive. That's what, that's what we, we are looking for, for leadership from, from different areas and different angles. And just this week, there's been... Uh the story about Wayne Hennessy and, and the you know, supposed Nazi salute, or apparently not. Um, and there's been some discussion of the a supposed difference between supposed private incidents and then public incidents on a football pitch. I just wondered what your thoughts were on the difference, if any, between those two contexts. No, I, I, I don't think there there is a difference. I, I think Wayne Hennessy, as a, as a, as a Premier League footballer, be very naive to, to think that there's not going to be a camera around. I mean, when, when I first started going out, you know, as a, as a young professional football player, you know, we probably behaved in a way, not, not in a bad way, but drinking more than we should have as professional players. You can't do that now because someone yeah. will bring out their phone and take a picture of you. And, and all the players are aware of this. You don't have any privacy as a Premier League football player. And that's not right. That's not great for those players. But, you know, if, to have the privilege of being a professional player in the Premier League, I think it's a small price to play, pay to just behave yourself in pub- public and <laughs> private. I don't, I don't think it's that big of a hardship. Um, in terms of how people behave in private, I think what's interesting is I think I'd like to hear more about what people are like in private because that's probably where people are showing their true selves. Mm. Listen, Wayne Hennessy has obviously been advised to stick with his story and it's and it's and it's got him off and it and it's worked for him but either way it's very embarrassing because if he's going to stick by his story which he obviously is he needs some serious education mm. so either way he she shouldn't be getting away with this scot free yes he'll escape the ban and the fine or whatever would happen but he should be going on an extensive training program and again going into schools and doing a bit of a bit of community service for your ignorance in your high profile position and causing harm to people yeah, you've, you've, you've kind of uh, gone straight into the next question I had for you and uh, you've, you've alluded to, you know, what what ought to be um, appropriate for those perpetuating, taking part in 
in racist abuse, discriminatory behaviour. Um, in, in ter- so I'm talking in terms of fans and players. Mm. You know, we take, we took, you took Hennessy as an example there. You take these these fans of Chelsea recently who were who, who have um, been banned from the stadium for life for shouting racist abuse at Raheem Sterling. Um, now, the banning from the stadium for life is is for kicking out those organisation. Is that enough, um, or do you feel there are other other ways that these these fans and players ought to be engaged with? And you've you've mentioned that you've mentioned yeah. education there. Um, I suppose. What do you think is, is I think, appropriate? Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a method. I don't think it's the method because you're is is that's football's way of saying. We, this isn't our problem anymore. Mm-hmm. It's society's problem, and football's just too big of a thing for it to be to, for it to be separate. It's it is it is football is society. So uh, listen, I, I get that the clubs don't want the affiliation. I totally under, I totally understand that, and it is a very strong strong response. But there should be room for rehabilitation, and there is no reason why the clubs can't provide that with the resources that they have by working more closely with us. We at, at Kick It Out, we also have a, a partner organisation um, that works with fans. I've delivered sessions with fans who who have behaved in a way that the club deem well not that the club deem that everyone deems to be inappropriate in a racist nature. And we sometimes have sessions where we sit down and we talk through. It. And very often you you get people in floods of tears because they can't believe how how stupid they've mm-hmm. been. You know when they realise the season ticket might get taken away, you, you tend to see a different side to people. And some people just want to vent a little bit. Some people, these people are out there and it's, it's, it's very sad. You do have other people who just go to football and think this is just, it's fair game and it's, and it's a free for all. But football's just got such a powerful part to play. And as I said, it, it's one way. I think there needs to be other ways. Education, I also, I'm the education officer, so of course I have to agree with education. But education also has to be on the assumption that people want to learn, yeah. in, in my opinion. I think young pe- younger people are more open, which is why we go to schools, colleges, universities. Some people actually do not want to learn. They're not interested. They switched off a long time ago, which is why you need the banning orders and, and things like that. So bans, um, education, more awareness. But again, fans inside the stadium, they've got a huge part to play to make that behaviour not the norm, but to make that behaviour. You're an embarrassment to yourself. You're an embarrassment to our football club. And we don't, we don't want you here, let alone what the the club thing what do you think's right and what do you think's wrong yeah. so I think the fans have a huge part to it. there's more fans than, than anybody they're the biggest part of the game in terms of sheer numbers so I think fans and it's not for everyone not everyone has that character or personality but those strong those big voices at the clubs where are you in all this yeah mm. just to talk about Kick It Out as an organisation if we go back kind of five years or so Rio Ferdinand um, directed some criticism to, to kick it out as an organisation in his book and he labelled it as useless uh, around the John Terry court case. Um, did that have any impact in how the organisation views itself and was there any change in terms of approach? I mean, I guess it was before you were there, but I mean, just from yeah. your experience there. Yeah, so kick it out often gets stick from players. You, you, you have players refusing to wear T-shirts every year during our weekend, weekends of action. And as a player, I'll be honest, when I played, I was ignorant to what Kick It Out did. I, yeah. did, I didn't know, because you're concentrating on your football. And as I said, you're in your football bubble and generally people are quite nice to you. And, this, and as I said, this was before social media, so there was no way for people to try and get you, really. Now it's a little bit different. You see that the, the other side of it. 
But I think what people don't realise is that Kick It Out is not a sanctioning body. Kick It Out works with the main governing bodies to try to advise, to try to call out. It's like a watchdog for the game. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, you haven't got any power then. So what's the point of you? Well, no, we don't have any power. We don't. But without Kick It Out, who is what organisation is there that speaks out on a regular basis that is the bad guys, so to speak, in terms of, you know, trying to be, trying to police the game. There isn't anybody else. So I think Kick It Out has a huge role to play. And it's not just about calling out incidents of abuse. We help victims of abuse. We take them, help to take them through the process from an independent point of view, from people who are trained to deal with these incidents. We work with people who would like to have opportunities to get into the game. A huge part of my role is working with people in, from underrepresented groups, women, trans people, gay people, minorities, to try and find their avenue into the game. So, you know, a lot of people that criticise Kick It Out don't know what Kick It Out do. Yeah. Most mm-hmm. people have not even gone and spent five minutes on the website, which is an easy thing to do. Everyone's, yeah. got, everyone's got access to the internet. All you'd have to do is spend five minutes in, and you'd see. Obviously, Rio Ferdinand is, is speaking from a, a position of hurt, which, yeah. I, which I get. His family were going through a lot at the time with his mother. She was very sick. Were, the family were receiving death threats. I understand his, his frustration, for sure. But Kick It Out is a team of 17 people who are constantly speaking out to the governing bodies and I would say we're doing all we can. Yep. And I think Rio Ferdinand has a bigger voice than Kick It Out. Mm-hmm. Come and help us. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, an, an article in The Independent, um, again, it kind of ties into the previous question. Um, it mentioned that Kick It Out weren't included in its, uh, its recently launched No Room for Racism campaign. Um, is that the case? And if so, um, like, what, what's, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah, it would, it would be fair to say that we, we were not really involved in the launch of that campaign. It was, it was a bit out of the blue, to be, per, to be perfectly honest. The Premier League have said that you know, they, they want to be more visible in this fight and they wanted to put together their own campaign, which, which is good. That is a good thing. You have to take people at their word. That's a good thing. In terms of what that looks like moving forward, we, we honestly don't know and I don't know. I think the Premier League, again, have the resources and the, the visibility to put out a very strong message. And I'm interested to see how this, oh, yeah. how this campaign goes. And it would be good if we, if we can work together, because as I said, they've, they've got the biggest name in, in world football um, as, a, as a product and as a brand. Um, so, yeah, this, as I said, it was very short notice that we found out and there's actually not that much I can tell you about yeah. it. Literally what you've seen, that campaign, we found out a couple of weeks before. Right. So. Um, we've talked about the game at a national level um, in the UK. Uh, and obviously you have a degree of experience at international level, uh, at youth level. Um, I just wondered what your thoughts were in terms of, in terms of international football, uh, if there is uh, a country where there is a history of racist abuse that, for example, England are going to play, is it your view, to what extent is it your view that the FA has a responsibility to say to UEFA or FIFA, look, we're not going to play there, or we, you know, we don't have a confidence there. There's, there's a player safety um, level that we think is appropriate. Yeah, 
very very difficult question i don't think you'll ever see england not competing on a, in a major tournament or in a, or in a qualifying campaign unless the players physical well-being was was at stake as bad as you know what the england players had to put up with in in montenegro even even danny rose i think said after the game that you know he just wanted to win the game and get the hell out of there yeah. I, think, I, think that, I think that's the attitude and for, for those professional players at that level of the game you have to be so thick skinned that I'm not saying that what happened wasn't the worst was the worst wasn't the worst thing in the world sorry, but I don't think it's going to get much be- much worse than that so I think the players can deal with that and as I said get the three points and get the hell out of there and hope that the governing bodies do their job but I don't think you'll England's too big a nation in football England won't do it won't happen that do, won't happen do, do, you think, do you think that um, the FA let's say for example you know this this Montenegro game you know it happens and we've seen we've seen what happens to, to certain FAs of certain countries if there's incidents of racism because they get a, they get a pathetic token fine of like 15,000 euros you know I think the, the Croatian FA was fined a few years ago um, it was something that was honestly something along the lines of 15,000 euros and you're thinking that is I mean it's, it's pathetic it's a pathetic token gesture um, do you think maybe that the FA could come out and just so wholeheartedly like you know state on the record that they are absolutely disgusted with the behaviour of a fellow FIFA member because that, that's yeah. not really something to do it. it's almost it, it's, it's politic and to me it's, yeah. it's politic at the highest level it's like we'll kind of say something but we'll not be too committal yeah. because we don't want to upset the apple yeah. card and because FIFA's so big yeah. but they like, just come out and say something yeah. massive I think, I think that would be amazing and again if we go back to what we said earlier it, how can Raheem Sterling be leading the debate yeah. on what's going on exactly. there, was a, there was a conference a few weeks ago um, a UEFA conference I think it was at Wembley and I think the opening statement from the president or whoever was whoever gave the keynote was saying, you know, it's it's quite embarrassing that in 2019 we need to be speaking about incidents of racism and discrimination. That same night was the incident with the Juventus, at the, the, Moise Keane. yeah, Moise Keane. Mm. And then the following day, there was no mention at the conference about what had happened. So you had a perfect opportunity yeah. Yeah. to straight away speak out. And they didn't. Yeah. So again, it's a, it's, a, it's a case of priorities. The priority, oh, sorry, racism as a priority is, is nowhere near up there on the agenda. And that's why you're going to continue to, as long as racism remains 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th on the agenda, you're just going to keep seeing the same thing. Mm. And what do you think can be done to raise it up the agenda? I think the only way you can move it up the agenda is, is if you have people that understand the issues and and want to do something about it i think you have some countries that have completely buried their head in the sand they just don't see it like for mm-hmm. them it's just it's it's, cult, it's cultural we go to the game we boo a little bit few few people monkey jump but you know that's part of the game but they don't do it when they go home so so no problem i think if you look at all of the all of the things that has that the english game has tried to do and we still have all the problems that we have you know, this we're going to be talking about this for a long yeah. time in, in in Europe. In terms of answers and solutions, I, I do think England is is doing the right things. I do, but it's not just football. I always go back to it's not just football. Broader culture, yeah, structural. I, I, I'm in and out of I'm in and out of schools and education bodies, colleges, universities all the time, and no one wants to touch it because. Yeah. Because we're now in a in a in a society where people are scared to say the wrong thing, or they don't want it, everyone's too sensitive. To, but let's just before you start putting labels on 
what form of discrimination it is. Is it right or is it wrong? And if something's wrong, you have a right to speak up about it, regardless of, of who you are, what group you fit into today. If you, if you disagree with something, it starts out with, with calling people out and deciding what I always say to the young people I work with, you need to decide what type of person you want to be. Are you the type of person that's going to sit around while other people are being victimised and bullied? Or are you going to say, you know what, mate, you probably shouldn't be doing that. Like, you, need, you need to stop that. Because sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think I just don't think we live in a, in a society that that promotes that. It's it's stiff upper lip, conservative. You're just gonna have to get on with it. You're just gonna have to deal with it, and it's not helpful. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I suppose if I can bring it into let, let's just kind of bring it into a, into a stadium. So you've kind of answered it there, but we'll maybe um, we develop on a little bit. Um, what can and should I suppose fans do? Like if, if they encounter racism, match so I, I, you know. Is the fact that a fan might see themselves as being a grass something that's problematic and people reporting abuse? Yeah, I'd imagine so. Again, that's another part of, of the culture. Don't tell. Yeah. Um, don't tell tales. Like, we all grow up with that. Don't, don't tell tales. Don't, don't upset the apple cart or all of, all of that type of thing. Um, particularly with the, the hard, harder sections of the crowd. That's not an easy thing to do. You've got people who have been attending games for, for years and years, large groups of of men who sometimes act angry in those situations so that that's not easy as well you know unless you plant plant stewards in there who are a little bit burly and can handle <laughs> themselves and can, can instead eject, of people can, on seven pound twenty you know our whole yeah. students basically yeah. uh, no absolutely yeah. that can, that can eject people um in in that instance but again just you know more from more from the players managers owners you know as i said i i, I really like listen chelsea have have problems at their club but to be fair to them, they, they regularly speak out. I think one of their last statements was that something along the lines of if these so-called fans can't get it through their heads that this behaviour is unacceptable, then they will... And then they, I can't remember how it finished, but that's, that's the type of language that yeah. I want to hear. That's mm. that on a, on a more regular basis. Yeah. That's the type of language that it needs to be, um, along with the other things that we've spoken about. And, and I about. guess if the, if the club takes a firm stand, then a lot of fans who encounter this kind of behaviour but are perhaps a little bit hesitant to stand up because they're scared if the club is kind of leading the way then it's, it's naturally yeah. going to affect the fans the fans are going to actually I'm alright I'm going to report this because yeah. my club will, clubs, will stand by me Yeah, clubs are scared of going to war with their own fans but no one changes the club they support yep. the fans will always be there T uh, change does take time and people might not like you know how forthright you are on certain messaging they might not like it but at the end of the day you have to go through this uncomfortable yeah. period to come out the other side but the clubs are just I was, can I say shit? I'm yeah of course you can you see whatever you want they're yeah. shit scared of going to war with their fans because they don't want the, the fans to not turn up the fans are going to be there no. the fans are coming they're not changing if they're a fan now they'll be a fan yeah. just to get just to look to the future um, how do you see it do you think we're in a situation where things are regressing um, a lot of people talk about the 80s as the dark days of you know, um, football and culture uh, in the UK. Do you think we're kind of at a bit of an even keel in terms of things just being a news moment? Or do you think things are improving? What's your kind of general... Yeah, no, I, I could never sit here and say that things are worse. I've I worked with Luther Blissett and some of the mm. stuff he's told me about, you know, I, I'd be... He would laugh at me if I said that things were, were, were worse now. So what someone like him had to go through and, and John Barnes and Garth Crooks and the, these are people who I regularly work with, 
you know, things have moved on a lot. And I just think that football does have a responsibility. It, it might not think it does. It might not feel that it should, but it does because it's, national game. it's the national game. It's and political. It's, yeah, it is, it is political. And I know football doesn't want to be, but it is. It's just too and late. When it's, people see that as an excuse yeah. as well, like football... You know, we should keep football and politics apart. You can't. No, you can't. Because the football club in, in pretty much every area that's based in is part of the social fabric yeah. and therefore it's got a responsibility, in my opinion, to to yeah. lead the way. Yeah, it has. It has. So, you know, I just think it is, things are improving very, very slowly. But it's one of those things where unless, you know, you, you can't be complacent with anything. Yeah. You're complacent with your, your friendships, with your marriage, with whatever it is. It's gonna to start to regress. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's. It's not. It's not, and racism and discrimination is no different. You have to keep on top of it, and you have to keep it in check. But again, you're gonna keep in check the things that are a priority to you, and it, it might take a walk off. We we were speaking about this the other day. This this type of behaviour could not happen in the NBA because they would just they'd shut the league down. Yeah. Those players would shut the league down. LeBron James would all get together. No more NBA. We just shut it down. So again, culture here is get on with it and don't, don't upset the club and you know just try and win the game and that's the best way to show them but as I said in this climate you especially if this continues into next season mm. I think the governing bodies are glad the season is nearly over because it means everyone can just calm down a little bit but imagine we were at the beginning of the season mm -hmm. and the season started like this yeah. you'd have a walk off yeah. guaranteed well we'll move on to the um, last question of this, this brilliant chat um was finally if, if any fan um, receiving any form of discrimination or abuse at the match at the local club or in the local team needs to reach out um, can they contact kick it out and and can those who wish to report incidents that they themselves may not be the victims of get in touch with you yeah they can and you know they can contact us via the website that we have a reporting app and I know a lot of a lot of people are starting to use these services there are still people that that are skeptical but there are also people who are skeptical of contacting the police. There are people who are yeah. skeptical of contacting County FA. So we're offering another way for people to try to, um, to tell us what's going on, to have a sympathetic ear, to go through a process with the FA. But again, once that, once that case gets handed over to the FA, the rules are that Kicker has to now take a step back. So again, people think that kick it out can be judged during execution, so to speak. We can't. We can hold people's hands to a certain point, and then once the official investigation starts from the national body, we have to step away. Once the police get involved, we have to step away. We are there for support ongoing, but we're not a counselling service. We don't. We have limited resources. We've got seventeen people. You can say people. Though, I guess, right? Of course, and we're, we're very much open to that. But it, people can't think that kick it out is the answer to all of their yeah. problems. We can help. We are hundred percent here to help. But there are other bodies with far more resources and members of staff than us who are not doing what we are doing. So we are here. We can signpost, and we will continue to be here. And we would encourage people to come and report to us. That's very important then we can take that to the governing board and say, look, this is what we're, you have to yeah. take this more seriously. So it does help what we're trying to say, because we know what's out there. Some people need a bit more convincing. So no, we definitely encourage more and more people to come forward because it keeps the conversation fresh in people's minds and takes away that element of complacency that is like so obviously set in over the last few years. 
I said, I'd just like to thank you for a really fantastic chat. And I mean, I think I speak for Norman and the rest of the guys at True Faith. You know, this is something that we think is really important to to address, to discuss, uh, and and not be complacent. And not be complacent. I think exactly what you said just now, just earlier, is completely accurate. So yeah, thank you so much for your time. Um, and yeah, much thank appreciated. I hope, it, I hope it was useful. So yeah, Incredible anytime. Cheers. Anytime. Thank you. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.